Welcome to the Take Two podcast, where we discuss highly debated biblical topics. We ask questions you might be afraid to ask. Hold on to your hats because today we are tackling the topic of heaven and hell. What happens when you mix a sharp teenager with a Bible professor who happens to be her mom? You get the Take Two podcast with Emma and Carmen Imes. Special thanks to Prairie College for sponsoring this episode and to you for joining us. So, where is heaven? That's a good question, but I don't know if there's a clear answer to it. Heaven is another dimension, and it could be right here where we are right now. Um, Wait, you mean we're not going up into the clouds, into this place where there's angels with flying around with their wings and you know, looking down into all the universe? Yeah, there are moments in the Bible in which it talks about God in heaven, and it's conceived of as being up. And of course, there's the moment of Jesus' ascension when he rises up in the air and then disappears from their sight in the clouds. But really, um, there are other moments in the Bible where it seems like there's suddenly a veil. It's, It's like a veil is pulled back and you can see into the heavenly realm and the people are right there on earth. So Ezekiel has visions of heaven, Isaiah has visions of heaven, and they happen just right on earth. But suddenly they're like there in the presence of God. So you're saying heaven is on earth, maybe. What I'm saying is that heaven is the dimension of reality in which God's presence is most evident and that it's possible for that dimension to overlap with ours, but it doesn't always. So in the Garden of Eden, you have actually God in the garden with Adam and Eve. So heaven and earth are connected. But then it seems like when Adam and Eve are kicked out of the garden, they are sort of cut off from the presence of God. But if Jesus ascends into heaven, I guess we don't know if he physically goes up, but the Bible tends to depict it that way. Yep, the Bible depicts him going up, but we don't know how far up he goes. So that could be sort of playing on their own concept of heaven as being up and uh, Sheol or the grave being down. So if heaven is possibly here on earth, then like, do we go to heaven? Like what's the in between? Do we go right when we die? This is a great question. Most Christians assume, most Christians today in our generation, Mm -hmm. assume that after you die, you go to heaven if you're a Christian. That if you put your faith in Jesus, that's your destination. But actually, when we take a careful look at the scriptures, there is not a clear teaching that heaven is our final destination, that that's where we're going when we die. Yes, it's where God is, and we'll be reunited with God after the resurrection, but the Bible's less clear about what's gonna happen to us in between. So what does it tell us? Yeah, so there's two main views on what happens to us in between our death and Jesus' return. Some people um, would suggest, and there's a couple of key passages that people point to, to to talk about this, but again, the Bible doesn't give us a lot of data, mm-hmm. so we'll probably find out when it happens to us. Yes. Um, so, so the two main views are this. Some people say our spirit gets separated from our body, so our body gets buried in the, in the ground. Our spirit goes up to heaven to be with God. Up to heaven? Okay, thank you. So our body goes in the ground, our spirit is somehow present with God, and we're just in a happy, blissful, disembodied state until Jesus comes again. 
um, and we're just waiting for bodily resurrection. The other view is called soul sleep, and that's where people think that when you're buried, you like you just sort of cease to exist, or you're like in a holding tank. You're not conscious of anything. So it's like how some people believe when you die and are buried in the ground, like you're just dead. Yeah, except that you haven't ceased to exist in this view. Um, you're just waiting for the resurrection, and you're ready. So it's like you're you've ready. been knocked out. Kind of like, yeah, being, it's like being a st in a state of unconsciousness for a while, like you're in a coma or you're numb somehow. So, but in both views, you're waiting for the resurrection to happen. Now, this is something that Christians have kind of lost in, over the past hundred years and not been as clear about. The, what the Bible very clearly teaches is that when Jesus comes again, there will be a physical bodily resurrection. So that if you and I have died by then, mm -hmm. Our bodies will become reanimated with our spirits, whether our spirits were there or are reunited, that, that we will physically be alive again with Jesus. So there are a lot of things people say about heaven when you're reunited with your body. Mm -hmm. Some people think it's a younger state of your body. Yeah. Some people think it's a perfect state of your body. Mm -hmm. What is that? The Bible really isn't clear. Um, I've heard people say, oh, we'll all be 33 years old because that's the year when Jesus was, that's how old he was when he was crucified. So that will be like the ideal age. But the truth is the Bible doesn't say. What we do know is that we'll be physically, like we'll be physical beings, that it seems as though there are parts of our physical body now, like scars that would still be visible. So if you think about, after Jesus' resurrection, he goes and shows himself to his disciples. Right. They recognize him. He still has the nail marks in his hands and in his side. So the things that happened to him before he died are still visible, but he can walk through walls. So there's something like supernatural about his body. There's a, there's a new, there are new dimensions to what his body is capable of, but it's still him. He eats with them. So it's not like he's a ghost. He's physical, and yet he can walk through walls. It's really so quite So we still amazing. get food in heaven. We get, yes. It okay. appears that we get food. But could that just be him walking through walls be the fact that he's the son of God? It's possible, but there's a, there's a pretty strong hint that what happened to Jesus is going to happen to each of us, that we're going to experience life the way he does. So I'm looking at 1 Corinthians 15. Uh, which is a chapter where Paul is writing to the early church about the resurrection and why the resurrection matters. And he says, starting in verse 20, But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. So the idea is, so a first fruit is like if you plant a garden, let's say you've got tomatoes and you've got zucchini, whatever. The first root fruit is that first ripe tomato from your garden. Okay. And so in the Old Testament times, when a farmer harvested, the first fruits were the ones that he was supposed to bring to the temple and offer as, a, as an offering to God, okay. giving God his first and best. So Jesus, when he's raised from the dead, is called the first fruits. Like, that tomato from your garden is not the only tomato you're going to get. You're going to get lots of tomatoes. Right. But that first one is the first fruit. So if Jesus' resurrected body is the first fruit, then that means there are a whole bunch more bodies coming, namely ours. We're going to raise, be raised too. 
And then it, it goes on to describe sort of the timeline of that and what's going to happen. But it seems like our resurrection is going to be patterned after his resurrection. Okay, so I have one last quick question. Mm -hmm. Okay, when people describe heaven, they're like, oh, it's the land of milk and honey. Mm -hmm. Like you will only feel happiness. Mm -hmm. But to me, happiness itself is not complete. Like from the movie Inside Out, when Riley feels true joy, it's a mixture of happiness and sadness. Mm -hmm. And this is a side thing, but if we're all knowing in heaven, which mm -hmm. is debatable, mm -hmm. That's then cool. we would know like people that we've known that are in hell. So isn't there a sadness to that? Mm. Yeah, that's a really good question. All we have on that topic is at the end of the book of Revelation, it talks about there being no more tears. Um, it says, it says, he will wipe every tear from their eyes. I'm reading from Revelation 21, verse 4. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. So my suspicion is that in heaven, or, or I would rather say in the new creation, um, since heaven is not somewhere else, but at that point it'd be re the reunification of heaven and earth. In the new creation, we will be so captivated by God's perfect wisdom and his perfect love that everything will be seen as the, the right culmination of things. Like he's brought justice and he's brought order and we can rest in that. So we're not going to have any regrets or any any things that feel unfinished because he will bring everything to its perfect completion. But possibly there will still be like a sense of loss that makes us feel complete, but we're comforted in knowing that we're there. Yeah, I suppose if we feel a sense of loss, it would be the loss of all of the selfishness and greed that used to characterize us. Like we're, we've cast off our old self and we're fully who God has created us to be. So it would be a good kind of loss. Good yeah. questions. So when we come back, we are going to talk about the rapture, what it means, and if it's going to happen. And now a word from our sponsor, Prairie College. I came here because I was hungry. Passions brewing in my blood, purpose stirring in my bones, knowing I was made for more. Imperfect, searching for who I was, I had this unshakable sense that God had planted greatness inside of me that demanded to be nurtured. My heart bursting with desire to do something beautiful with my life for Jesus' sake. Here, my hunger met substance and depth, wisdom and direction, grew roots and took form. My passions took flight while my soul got grounded. My purpose got narrow while my horizons expanded. Now, my future is clear, my focus sharper, my calling precise, and hope my anthem. In these past four years, I've traveled the world, seeing things I never could have imagined, witnessing real suffering and unspeakable beauty. I've felt the heart of God in the classroom and in the slums. I've discovered his voice through his word in unexpected ways. Now, resilient as I grow, become, triumph, and fail, I've experienced the power of community and being transformed by the presence of the Holy Spirit. What comes next is still a mystery. I can only see by the short light cast in front of me, a lamp unto my feet. But this place has given me everything I need to step forward, bold 
and confident. I'm ready to launch. We apologize for the reduced audio quality of the rest of this episode. We hope you still find it helpful. Okay, so we've talked about where heaven might be, Mm -hmm. um, what it's like, what kind of emotions we'll feel, what our physical bodies will be like. Mm -hmm. So now the process of getting there. What is the rapture? What does that mean? Great question. Um, So the rapture is actually a newish idea. It's only been around for maybe a little over 100 years, 150 years. So it arose in the late 1800s. It was made popular by a a certain study Bible that was super popular in the early 1900s called the Schofield Reference Bible. And then when I was about your age, maybe a little older, a series of books came out called the Left Behind series. And that's when the rapture became like the thing everybody was talking about and waiting for. Mm -hmm. But actually, if you look back earlier in church history, people aren't talking about a rapture. So when people talk about a rapture, what they mean is the moment where Jesus returns, Mm -hmm. um, and they're actually talking about a secret moment. So Jesus secretly coming back, and all the true believers will be caught up to meet him in the air and be secretly whisked away to heaven while really bad things happen on earth. So the, and that period of time is called the tribulation. Okay. So those who believe in the rapture think that God is gonna spare the church from experiencing all those hard things by secretly taking them away. So you can imagine what a great movie series this would make. Like all of a sudden people are disappearing and nobody knows where they and went. And also terrifying, kind of like <laughs> Endgame. When all of a sudden, or Infinity War, I guess, when everybody is just turning to ash, but only half of them. Okay, yeah, that would be similar. So, I I mean, I think a lot of Christians have had moments where they, like, walk into a room and everyone's missing. Like, they thought there was a meeting and nobody's there and they wonder, did I miss the rapture? (laughs) So, what I think we need to do now is look at where did this idea of the rapture come from? Yeah. I told you it was kind of a new idea. So I'd like to show you the two New Testament passages that people base it on, and we'll take a closer look at those. Mm-hmm. So the first one is in Matthew chapter 24, and this is, a, this is part of Jesus' teaching to his disciples on what's going to happen in the end times or the latter days. Like He's talking about um, stuff in the future that they should be ready for. So we're reading in Matthew 24, starting in verse 36. He says, but about that day or hour, no one knows. And the hour, he's talking about the hour of his return. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the son, but only the father. So Jesus is admitting he doesn't even know when he's coming back. So for those of us that believe in the Trinity, like that they're all one, how does that work? Okay, that's a really deep question, Emma, and I love it that you asked that. Um, I'm not sure I know how to answer it, except that perhaps Jesus in his human state is self-limiting. So he, once he ascends, he'll know. But as a human, he's chosen to limit his divine knowledge for a time. That's maybe my best guess at it. So here's how he describes the time, this like unexpected time when when he's going to return. As it was... In the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. This Son of Man is Jesus' favorite title for himself. 
For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage. In other words, they had no clue what was coming. Mm -hmm. Up to the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. So, sort of secret coming of a cataclysmic event. Except for it wasn't quite secret. I mean, he, he told people. He did tell people. Um, potentially he told people. From, from the children's stories I've read, he told yes. people. <laughs> In the children's stories, Noah goes around and warns people that it's happening, but I don't think I've found that in the Bible anywhere. That's interesting. Yeah. Okay, so this is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. And then it gives another illustration. Two men will be in the field. One will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding with a hand mill. So they're grinding grain for dinner. One will be taken and the other left. Does anyone even use hand mills anymore? <laughs> like, is this how it's really going to happen? <laughs> um, so he's using illustrations of ways, and I'm laughing because we actually have a mill at our house and we do grind flour, but it's, but not, it's not a hand, hand mill. It's yeah. electric. So, um, so he's using illustrations that make sense to them, right, in their time. So two men are in a field working, one will be taken, the other left. Now, what I want you to notice is based on the Noah illustration that he just gave, who is taken and who is left. Remember, as it was in the days of Noah, people were doing all this stuff before the flood came. They knew nothing about what happened until the flood came and took them all away. So you're saying the sinners were taken? Yes, the sinners, the ones who are not on the boat, are the ones who are taken away. They're taken away in judgment. So I would say that should influence how we read verses 40 and 41, which are typically the rapture verses. So people say, oh, look, we don't know, you know, when Jesus returns, we don't know when it's going to happen. Just suddenly, people are going to disappear, and they'll be caught up to heaven. But if we read the context, the people who are taken away are the sinners being taken away in judgment. So there'll be two in a field, somebody will just be taken away and be judged, maybe with those sound effects. <laughs> um, so there's two things specifically in that verse that stood out to me. Mm -hmm. One, no one knows. Yes. except for God himself. So even if you're a conspiracy theorist, yes. like it's good to think about those things. Yeah. But nobody knows for sure. So next time you are on YouTube and you see a, a video where somebody's proclaiming the date that the end of the world is going to happen, you can be guaranteed that's not the end of the world. And if you're the one making those videos, Please stop. <laughs> I was going to say maybe rethink your philosophy. <laughs> Please stop. Um, the other point that stood out was, oh, when you were talking about how, like, that analogy of the two people in the field and the two people, like, with yeah. the hand mill, mm -hmm. that's appropriate to their time. Mm -hmm. So it's not literal necessarily, and it might be. Um, their hand mills could make a comeback. But <laughs> in some parts of the world, they're still very much in use. Yes, that's true. Um, but that's not necessarily going to be two men in the field and two right. women. This is not giving us a comprehensive view of where everybody's going right. to be. Right. It's just examples. So, so to me, when I read this closely, I'm not seeing a rapture. I'm seeing Jesus returning at an undisclosed time. So his, his return will be sudden and unexpected, and some people will be taken away in judgment. That doesn't sound quite like a rapture. So, to those of you out there watching this who are raised only thinking, like, that's the only way this could happen, 
don't turn off the video yet. We're not finished with you. <laughs> All right, so the other passage people point to is from 1 Thessalonians 4, um, verse 17, but we should back up a few verses so we get some context. This okay. is Paul, Silas, and Timothy writing to the church of the Thessalonians, and they're wanting people to be ready for Christ's return and know how to live in the meantime. So he says, Brothers and sisters, I'm starting in chapter 4, verse 13. Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you don't grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. So he's thinking of death as a kind of sleep because he believes there's going to be a resurrection. So like soul sleep. He may be thinking of soul sleep and he may just thinking they're, be thinking their body is sleeping. Um, but anyway, he doesn't want people to be distraught because, oh no, Grandma died, and Jesus hasn't come back yet, and so now she's going to miss out on Jesus' return. Okay, so this is a real concern in the early church, because they were imagining Jesus would come back really soon, but then right. believers started to die as he took longer, and they were a little worried about, are those people going to miss out on Jesus' return? So he says, for we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. Now, this is where some people might um, get the idea that our souls will go to heaven, and when Jesus returns, he's bringing souls with him. But the so, when they say fallen asleep in him, mm -hmm. does that mean like in a good way or in the sense that they've turned from No, that's a good thing. It means people who've died while they were a Christian. Okay. So, so those believers who have died, will, like Jesus is caring for them in the meantime. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. So we don't get like first up, first chance to, to reunite with God and the people who are dead already are missing out. And then he explains how this, it's going to work. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven. So there's heaven up again. Mm -hmm. um, but again, could be kind of metaphorical. The Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. So the Christians who have died will be the first ones up to meet so him. So up. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> after that, we who are still alive and are left, and here's where the rapture comes from, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. So it's going with in the air again. It is. Um, could that be like a holding place while the earth becomes like the new creation? Possibly. A couple of things I want to point out. If the rapture was secret, then this wouldn't be a very good description of it. Because we've got... A loud command, the voice of the archangel, the trumpet call of God. Like, this is a very public event. Nobody's going to miss it. Right. Okay, so that, there's that. So this is not a secret thing. And this is not just for Christians who are alive. It's for Christians who've died and Christians who are alive, who are caught up to meet him in the air. But that word meet is the one I want to focus on now. So it says those who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Now, I, I assumed, um, you know, years ago, as I, as I was being taught about the rapture, I assumed that, oh yeah, we're caught up in the clouds to meet Jesus, and then he'll take us up to heaven, and we'll go together. That seemed logical to me. But I've since learned more about this word meet, and about the way things worked in that time period. 
So the word is apantasis, that's the, the word for meat, and it's actually a word that refers to a public welcome for a visiting dignitary. So if, if we had a really famous person coming to visit at Prairie College, then that famous person, we would maybe like all leave our buildings and go out to meet the famous person and like guide them in. Okay. So we're not actually going out to meet them and leave to go somewhere else. We're, we're welcoming them into our community. So this happens, of course, with Jesus, right? On the, on the day when Jesus comes into Jerusalem and he's riding on a donkey, all the crowds go out to meet him. I was just about to use that example. It's a great example. So everybody goes out to meet Jesus, not so that they can go somewhere else, but they're guiding him into the city. They're, they're bringing him in with celebration. And so some scholars say that's what's going on in 1 Thessalonians 4. Believers are being caught up to meet the Lord. They're the welcoming committee, and they're then ushering him back to earth to reign as king over this planet. All right, so how about you give us a quick recap? Okay, so what I basically said is that we are not going to heaven when we die. If we do, it's a temporary thing. Until the physical resurrection, our physical bodies will be raised and will be reunited with Christ. Heaven is coming to us. Jesus is going to come and reign over this earth. And so there are implications for that that we haven't talked about, but our listeners can think about. If this is our final destination, and if these bodies are going to be ours for eternity, that might affect the way we treat our bodies and the way we treat this planet. Yeah, well, it's definitely important to know, like, we haven't ruled out, like, completely, like, any beliefs that you guys may have. Mm -hmm. We're just exploring new options and giving you guys more to think about. Yeah. So on that note, are there any resources our listeners can go to to learn more about this? There are. I just finished reading this book by N.T. Wright called Surprised by Hope. This is a, a, a whole book that rethinks heaven, where are we headed, what happens between now and then, um, and what is the mission of the church? How does the mission of the church connect with that? Really great book. Or you can find lots of videos of um, N.T. Wright teaching online about these topics. Another one that's a really great is A New Heaven and a New Earth mm -hmm. by J. Richard Middleton. And he rethinks this, you know, what happens between death and, um, and where are we going eventually? What's our eternal destiny? Probably the best place to start, though, is Bible Project. Um, the Bible Project video on heaven and earth is really helpful. Um, any of their resources are great. Their podcasts are great, too. We will definitely link um, these resources down below. Um, along with ways you can get connected with us and follow us on social media platforms. Mm -hmm. um, thank you so much for joining us on this week's episode of the Take Two Podcast. Be sure to stay tuned for part two of Heaven and Hell. Mm -hmm. See you next time.